how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters. Did Home Alone, Rowan John uses career, the greatest movie never made, and how Jackie Chan creates perfection through failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. In Escape from Pretoria, writer-director Francis Annan uncovers the true story of how two real-life political captives escaped from Pretoria during the apartheid days of South Africa. The film stars Daniel Radcliffe and Daniel Weber. In this interview, Annan discusses creating empathy in characters, why these real-life subjects debated the issue of escaping or staying, how he made the jump from shorts and docks to full-length features, what it's like to deal with overtime on set, and why Daniel Radcliffe loves the process of acting. If you enjoyed this interview, join millions of viewers for the new YouTube video essay series, Creative Principles, which dissects new films, series, and more, such as today's video on David Lynch and the art life. I kind of um, trained at the BBC in Manchester back in 2002, 2003, and um, my original plan was to study political science um, and go into sort of, you know, that world. And... Um, Somebody at the BBC said, oh, well, you know, you seem quite good at this stuff. And if you want to study this, um, there are some good courses which kind of marry the, the technical aspect of filmmaking with, you know, kind of the more cerebral uh, stuff. Uh, it was down in Bournemouth, in the south of England. And so I applied. There were about uh, 2,000 applicants for about 47, 46 places. I thought, I won't get in, but I'll try anyway. And I applied and managed to get on. Uh, and so, yeah, sort of, that began the, the uh, you know, the movie. I mean, I've been interested in film and stuff beforehand, but to kind of have it as a career, it was only really kind of that transition which, which made me feel that, okay, I can actually be a filmmaker, you know. How did some of your early uh, TV and documentary work kind of help you uh, shape your style for this latest film? Um, I'll be honest with you, not, not that much of I me. Mean, it's a totally different beast, you know. Um, I had a very clear uh, idea of how I wanted the, the film to sort of, you know, transmit at storyboards with about 75% of the, you know, the film. 
um, and sort of through the whole film. And so, uh, having having written it as well, you know, I, you, the, the the tension, the, the cinematic element, the the, the the ability for the film to um, stand up on its two feet in a theatre with you know 100 people, 200 people, was something that was going to be in my mind a lot of the time. You know, previous TV and documentaries, it wasn't really, I didn't think about that at all. That was just, you know, whatever. There was nothing from that past that I went, oh, you know, I've learned this or I've learned that. It was a totally different thing. Um, documentaries are about, um, you know, shoot, you know you, you're shooting lots of different things with a rough idea, then you're kind of in the edit trying to build this narrative. Sometimes you have that narrative beforehand, sometimes you don't. Uh, in television, you're just, you know, I don't want to be disparaging, but you're kind of just, you know, the script is done and production is on get your prep time and you sort of shoot, you know, what's very predetermined uh, using your taste to shoot it. It's, it's, they're very different things. You know, with a film, it's like you're an artist kind of walking around with a portfolio under your arm and it's a lot of it, so much of it, you know, is on you in a way that in television, you know, that isn't the case. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't recall sort of going, oh, you know, here's all these experiences from my television and documentaries that I'm using. Um, yeah, it's just its own thing. What was it about this story that made you want to kind of take on that big responsibility? Well, I was interested in, you know, the fact that, you know, apartheid had created this this prison. I mean, this is, to my knowledge, as far as I can tell, the world's only white-only political prison anywhere in the world. There's nothing else like it anywhere. And so that was interesting. But, okay, you're political, you're white, you've got the separate prison front for you. That's interesting. Um, you know, I remember my my grandparents particularly kind of going to South Africa and um, they were coming back and telling my, my mom and, and also myself these really interesting stories of, of what it was like. And, you know, Africans were used to Europeans living in Africa for a long time, but to have this kind of apartheid system and, and it was quite kind of almost voyeuristically sort of intriguing and sort of baffling to a lot of Africans how they done this, you know. So I've always had that impression of apartheid from you know, my, my family members. Um, that was interesting as well, just to try to, to explore that. And then, you know, about three quarters of the book is about the escape and about the detail of the escape and uh, their attempts. And so I found the kind of the ingenuity of that quite different to anything I've seen before. You know, it wasn't digging or climbing or anything like that. It was it was a very technically uh, proficient uh, escape attempt, and so that also interested me, you know, how could I tell that story, how detailed it was, and how interesting that might be to convey cinematically. Characters in, like, a prison escape film, they really have, like, a single purpose that they're kind of going towards. How can you kind of create empathy in those characters and help the audience see themselves in this person? Well, one interesting little bit was the fact that although they were all prisoners on that wing, it's a special wing, dedicated to white, anti-apartheid political prisoners. You go there. Uh, not everyone on that wing uh, thought escape was the most potent or effective method of resistance. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, now, none of them were going to rat out the three escape, you know, escape They weren't going to say, oh, you know, we're going to tell on you. So that, that's what made the, the, the escape you know, kind of, uh, uh, possible. If they'd been regular sort of inmates, I'm sure by then they would have been ratted out to a guard or something like this. They, they, they protected the three guys, but there was definitely a strong sense that um, 
um, bearing the unjust burden of that sentence was, if not equally, potentially more an effective method um, because you were showing solidarity with the African and Asian prisoners on Robben Island. So that became a source of tension about what is the most uh, 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 um, lucid and the most effective method of um, resistance escaping or actually staying and bearing the sentence. So that's one, that was one thing. Uh, obviously, one of the characters, the French character, also has a son who gets to see for about one hour per year. That was quite stressful. Um, and also, these guys were kind of doing a lot of uh, missions and, 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 you know, really being fulfilled in their anti-apartheid work, and then bang, they get snatched off the street and thrown into prison. So there's that sense that, you know, they're kind of like coil springs waiting to get back out there and, uh, you know, potentially given very long, uh, decade-long sentences and, and feel that they want to get back out there. So there's all, there's all those little, little elements. Was there a biggest challenge that comes to mind when making this film or maybe any advice you wish you had before you started uh, making the movie? <laughs> uh, gosh, yeah, I mean, I could spend another 20 minutes doing that. I mean, there were lots of challenges, you know, it was a very compacted schedule. Um, and, you know, partway through the first week, I think there'd, there'd been some budget things, so um, the budget kind of went a bit beyond uh, uh, what it was supposed to be in a certain department, so I lost a lot of my uh, scheduled overtime, you know, that I could shoot a little bit beyond um, the end of the day to get the footage. So I, could, I wasn't able to shoot any longer than was allotted because um, the money had to go elsewhere. So it suddenly became, you know, very tight. I had to make sure I didn't go over budget, over schedule, over anything. And that straight jacket was, you know, kind of tough sometimes. Um, and uh, there's a lot of detail. So I, I, I was not massively prepared to just drop all these close-up shots of keys and things like this. And so that meant that, you know, with the tight schedules and all this kind of thing, I, I had to uh, think outside the box. So I ended up having to sort of uh, use B-camera, the second camera, as a kind of second unit uh, to shoot um, a lot of those close-up shots at the same time as we were shooting the main unit. So I had two, two monitors, you know, and I was having to sort of run between, <laughs> you know, effectively main unit and second unit. Um, and, you know, so that was also, you know, a challenge. Um, but, you know, we got there, and the adrenaline was actually really helpful for the actors to feed that into their, their work, because, you know, the characters were also uh, under a lot of time pressures. Did it help you to kind of be the director and writer in those situations when you, you might not get a shot you need, kind of knowing the full story in and out as a writer? Does that kind of help you wearing both those hats like that? Yes, very much so. Um, I think on this project, it was a lifeline. If there'd been a writer as well, and I, I hadn't been the, the writer, then um, it would have been quite difficult to have that kind of, you know, kind of whispers or mixed messages, you know, telling each person, next person, next person. It would have been a lot slower. It gave me a full understanding of the film. Something was really helpful. I had my own shorthand. You know, what was challenging was that, you know, I didn't need to make any changes. Um, obviously, there was, it was me, there was the writer, so I had to kind of go home, get my laptop out, and actually write, you know, those dialogue or, or scene changes myself, and then, you know, print out the yellows or the greens and send it to the production office and that sort of thing. So it was great having the sort of internal feedback loop, but it meant that, you know, everything was on me. Um, so I'll get it out there. So, yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 mm. but on balance, it was, it was really helpful having that, um, you know, that. Yeah, it's a loop.
Is that something you think you'll you can't kind of carry with you into the future? Do you always want to possibly be the writer and director? Um, it's interesting. I mean, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino says, you know, if, if you're a director and you can't write, you're sort of missing a bit of a trick. You know, you should be able to write. Every competent director should be able to, you know, do a draft and do something. I agree with that. Otherwise, you're always at the behest of, you know, having to find a writer and then going to find some development money and spending six to nine months. And you're kind of a little bit at other people's mercies. So you should be able to write a draft, you know, in a couple of months and get going. That said, you know, I think the French call the direct, the French title for director is realisateur, the realiser. And I kind of really feel that I want to sort of develop and hone that skill in, in being able to take somebody else's script and sort of elucidate it. Um, so, yeah, at the moment I'm working with uh, Sue Latimer, who's uh, my agent in the UK and also Dan Bancroft's agent, and with ICM in the US, um, Dirk McLaren and, and Dan Powell are my agents there. And just to try and sort of, I'm really sort of looking for scripts actively to sort of see, you know, if, there's, if I can sort of hone and build that muscle of, you know, bringing other people's scripts to life, that's the kind of thing I'm interested in. And when I look at the kind of, you know, direct, directors that I really sort of emulate, you know, David Fincher and Denis Villeneuve and Bennett Miller and these sorts of people, you know, they don't, they don't write. Um, they sort of bring off the page from other people's scripts. So that's, yeah, I'm interested in developing that skill at the moment. So I've talked to a couple directors who have worked with um, Daniel Radcliffe. What do you think kind of pushes him or motivates him to do so much work as he does? And he does a lot of projects where he's like physically dirty or they're demanding roles. You know, you kind of, you don't see a lot of child actors make that transition and then put so much work in. Like what kind of, what do you see in him working with him on this film? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I went to see Endgame last night, last night, his play at the Old Vic here in London. And it's, I mean, I was, I have to say, I was just like George Rock, it's amazing, you know, his, his commitment and the physicality and everything was fantastic. Um, and I was thinking the same thing, you know, thinking, you know, he really um, not only throws himself in, but he enjoys acting. He really enjoys, you know, uh, 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 actively seeking out roles where he's going to be extended or he's going to be uh, pushed. And I think, you know, it's, it's possibly like a, maybe like a racing driver or somebody who goes abseiling, you know, they, 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 they want to feel that they're extending the very furthest reaches of themselves. Although they don't think they're doing, you know, not do, I'm not working, but I'm not really, you know, expanding myself and really sort of, you know, uh, drawing upon my, uh, psychology and my physiology, then, then what am I doing? You know, it feels a bit too sort of little. And so I think, I think you know, he, you know, he loves, it's very, you know, he reminded me on the play of like Buster Keaton or, you know, Charlie Chaplin. He has a real uh, striking physicality, which I needed for this film, for Skip Victorious. There's a lot of non dialogue, you know, extended action sequences where, you know, he's not talking and he's just looking at him doing stuff. And it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, I, th I think I, I do think that yeah he enjoys, um, and I think he would get a bit bored if he wasn't doing something where he's really having to fill himself into the role. I think I think yeah I think he's very good at that, and um, I'm, I'm, I was really happy that I got someone who was so willing to do that on this film. I needed that in, in, in the spades. I, I think we're pretty good. Is there anything I missed you want to discuss about the film? 
Um, I mean, I, I spent a long time on sound. Sound is a huge, huge part of it. Um, you know, um, I spent probably might just sometimes it feels like twice as long in the sound uh, uh, mix as I did in the cut almost. You know, um, and because I really want it to be very immersive. I want you, I want you to feel like you are in the cinema right over their shoulders. You know, experiencing what they're experiencing. Um, and so, yeah, I want people to watch it in the best uh, arena or theatre that they possibly can with the best sound possible. So I think it's the, it's, they'll enjoy it the most in that setting, um, you know, because it's a very immersive um, film and sound is, is one of the primary sources of that immersion. And that is our show. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also check out the new video essay series on YouTube called Creative Principles. And give us a review. That's one of the best ways to help share these interviews. Thanks again.